or open up the app on your phone and click over. So that's Exodus 33 and 34. Exodus 33, verse 1. The command to leave Sinai. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now, take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. The Tent of Meeting Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the Tent of Meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the Tent of Meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch until Moses, until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses' intercession. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we were distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. 
Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses makes new tablets. Chapter 34, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. The covenant renewed. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other god, for the god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of this sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out from Egypt. All that open the womb are mine, all your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep. The firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the Feast of Weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feasts of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. 
For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the stone tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. The Shining Face of Moses. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Thank you, Tori. That was my lovely wife, for those of you who don't know. Uh, my name is Tony Percy. It is wonderful to see everyone here this morning. Uh, I'm actually one of the elder candidates here at Freshwater. So I just want to, wanted to say good morning to you and, and just let everybody know that it, it is a humble privilege of mine to be able to come before you and, and preach the Word of God. So if you would, just before we begin, I would love to just pray and just lift up this morning to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you just so thankful for who you are, for who you declare us to be, and for who we are in you. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it speaks truth over our lives. I pray that our minds would be able to just understand the truth of your word, that you'd give us wisdom and discernment as we interact and, and engage with your word. And, and Lord, I also just pray that you'd continue to just allow us to have teachable and moldable hearts, Lord, and, and that through this process of renewing our minds as a body, Lord, that your name would be glorified and your kingdom advanced. I thank you so much for this morning. Please give me clarity of speech and, and mind and and just allow the truth that you've been teaching me to just be proclaimed boldly this morning. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we trust you. In your name, amen. All right, so that was two longer chapters. But there is a lot here. But before we dive into chapters 33 and 34, I, I just kind of wanted to do a little bit of a, of a recap of what we've been going through as we've been studying the book of Exodus. 
Uh, if you guys remember last week, for those of you who were here, we talked about some pretty difficult things. We talked about Israel making a golden calf while Moses was gone on Mount Sinai, and, and we see them worshiping another god. And then we see God's reaction toward his people that he kills 3,000 and sends another plague. And if it wasn't for Moses' plea, he would have just started over with Moses. And it was difficult to hear some of those things. It was difficult to realize that as much as Israel was claimed as God's people, that that was a reaction based off of their sin. That because he is a holy and perfect God, that that is his reaction to sin. And it can be discouraging when we compare our lives to Israel. Now we go, man, I'm literally exactly like them. It can be disheartening. And, and then as we also just remember who God is and what he's done on Israel's behalf, I mean, right off the bat, God performs the miracles of the ten plagues to free Israel from Egypt. And as they're fleeing from Egypt, they're caught at the Red Sea, and, and God splits the Red Sea and allows them to travel on dry land freeing them in fullness from the slavery and the bondage that they were under Egypt. We see God as they start their journey through the wilderness, provide manna and quail and water from a rock. We've seen God go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a, a pillar of fire by night, leading his people we see him going before them and, and destroying all of the enemies, just protecting his people and making a way for them. This is what God has been doing for his people. And then last week we experienced Israel's reaction to God. This morning, we're going to be working through Exodus 33 and 34. And church, this is a beautiful passage. This passage is, as far as I can tell, the crescendo, the forte of the book. This is where the good stuff is. This is where Christ and God in the narrative of Exodus has been pointing to the entire time to encourage us as God's children. So this morning, we're going to be talking about a faithful father leading his children, his people, to restored relationship. Through the rock in which God receives all the glory. As we begin in chapter 33, we see God's command for Israel to leave Mount Sinai. We see that God has, instead of now being the one who was going to be leading them, continuing before them and going before them, we see that, that God now is saying to Moses, I'll just send an angel, and he's going to clear out all these people for you. We see God in these first few verses communicate the removal of his presence, of his relationship with his people. And we also see God command Israel, the nation of Israel, to remove their ornaments. And that in this removal, there was great mourning. Initially, when it's a removal of an ornament, it, it kind of seems like, why is that so sad? 
It's just jewelry. It's an ornament. It's something that you put on yourself to adorn yourself. As I studied, the reason that this removal of ornaments was so detrimental and and caused such great mourning and sorrow for the people of Israel was because, if you remember, as they were exodusing Egypt, God commanded the people of Israel to go to their neighbor. And as they went to their neighbor, they asked for the gold and the silver. These were the ornaments, these were the gifts that God provided for his people. They were a representation him claiming and saying that you are my people and here is, here is a physical representation that you are mine. And now, now we see God commanding them to take them off because what has happened, church, in chapter 32 is, is that Israel committed adultery on God. They were his people. They were his, his bride. And they committed adultery and they took the very thing that God gifted them, the symbolic engagement ring, they took that very thing and melted it down and made another God. So now God is saying, remove it. Symbolically, you need to know that the relationship has, has been removed and my presence has also been removed. Israel's response in mourning, or their response was that of mourning and, and sorrow, and, and rightly so, because there's a recognition that without God, they would not be where they are. Without God, they would have been taken down by another tribe. Without God, they would have drowned in the Red Sea. Without God, they would have been killed by the Egyptians that were pursuing them. Without God, they'd still be in slavery. So there's this recognition that without him, without his presence, without his relationship, we're done. Nonetheless, they obeyed and removed their ornaments. As we continue in chapter 33, we see now the, the narrative of the, the uh, Moses meeting in the tent with, with God. And in this, in this narrative, we see God really point out the difference between a relationship and religion. We see God invite Moses after he commands him to set the tent up outside of the camp with intention to show again the distinction that God's presence has been removed from Israel. We, we see that Moses goes and he meets with God in this tent and in that tent God's pillar, the pillar of cloud descends on him showing again the presence of God and we see Moses being able to talk with God as he would a friend. We see there, there uh, an actual interaction between the God and Moses. And we see the people of Israel longing to join in on that so they come outside their tents and they worship but there's no relationship. 
There's a disconnect. There's a space. One, one is based off of a relationship that God knows Moses and Moses knows God. The other is based off of a performance of, of doing the action of. And, and God is making this clear distinction here. He's making this distinction intentionally, one to show us, but also to show Israel. We, we can glean from this, but, but the removal of his presence and the tent being set up outside was specifically to show Israel that his presence and his relationship has been removed from them as a people. He was no longer going to be the one going before them. He had them remove their ornaments. There was a disconnect. As we continue in the narrative, in this story, we see Moses meeting in the tent with God. As he's meeting with God, we, we see him speaking to the Lord on a personal level. We see him speaking in boldness, saying, If I have found favor in your sight, then consider that too of this nation to be your people. We see Moses earnestly pleading with God to not remove his presence completely from the people. We, we see him doing something absolutely beautiful and wonderful. We see Moses interceding. We see him mediating for the people of Israel. He has found favor in the sight of the Lord and so now he's going before the Lord saying, please, on my behalf, account it to them. Does that sound familiar, church? An intercessor is someone who stands in between. We see also in this narrative that God, or that Moses asked God to see his glory. We see that it's partially because he desires this, this deep evidence of experiencing God on a personal level because what does Moses desire most of all? He desires to know God. But we also see him requesting this, that, that God would do an action to reveal his heart for his people. The people that Moses is a part of, that he is interceding for. And God responds with an answer. He says, yes, I will. But for me to show you my glory, you're going to need to go to this rock. And in Exodus, it actually says you're going to need to go to the rock. And as you go to this rock, I need you to cling to it. To go into the cleft of the rock. To be shielded by it. And I will also use my hand. And I will use my hand to cover the rock as I pass. And as I pass, I will remove my hand so that you can see my back. This rock was a physical rock. 
It was a place where Moses actually went and stood behind. But this rock is so much more. This rock is a symbol of the cornerstone of the temple, which would be the dwelling place of God. This, this cornerstone that that temple will be built upon. This rock is a rock in which we stand. The rock that shielded Moses was a foreshadowing of the rock which our faith would be built upon. This rock is Christ. This rock is the person of Jesus Christ. Just as a rock shielded Moses from experiencing the full glory of God because if you see the full glory of God, God states it himself, no man has seen me and lived. So this rock stood in between so that Moses could experience God, so that Moses could engage in God's glory and yet live. This rock is a person of Jesus Christ. The beauty of this church is God foreshadowing and pointing us here in this account toward the person of Christ, towards our perfect mediator. It is not a mistake that God has Moses stand behind this rock. Once again, we see that this thread that we've been walking through as, as we've been going through this account in Exodus we see this thread continuing that for us to properly worship God, we need someone to intercede on our behalf. We have seen this through all of Exodus. We will see it in the priests. We will see it in the, the prophets and the good kings in the rest of the Old Testament. And we will see it in the New Testament in the person of Christ in the Gospels. Christ is the fulfillment of all three of these offices. He is the perfect high priest. He is the one that has been prophesied, and he is our perfect king. And he's standing in our stead so that we can now engage with God, so that we can see God's glory and live. Christ is our rock, and he stands between us. Again, this morning we are talking about a faithful father leading his children to restored relationship through the rock, which in he receives all the glory. Continuing on, we, we come into chapter 34 and we see God reinstituting or uh, renewing the, restoring the covenant that had been made with the forefathers. We see God's instruction, but church, in verses 6 and 7, we see something that is just absolutely amazing. It is awesome. We see God, the Father, declare who He is. To Moses. It is so beautiful and so glorious. We see God 
stating who he is and who he will be to his people. He says in verses 6 and 7, I am merciful. I am gracious. I am slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I am faithful. I have steadfast love for thousands. I forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. I am just and wrathful, and I am reigning in authority. We see after this declaration from God of who he is that Moses, all of a sudden, he comes and he goes, he includes himself in the plea of needing forgiveness. He says, forgive us our iniquities. Forgive us our transgressions. Because he's standing in the glorious presence of God, talking with him, though he is an intercessor, he is still a man and recognizes his desperate need for someone to stand in his stead as well. We continue on and we see the renewal of God and his covenant with it, or the renewal of God's covenant with Israel. We see the stipulations and the actions that God sets in place, the Ten Commandments, uh, the feasts of unleavened bread, Passover, Sabbath, the Feast of Week, uh, the Feast of Ingathering, and the, the instructions for those of how to appropriately worship God. But we also see God do something differently than he did in chapter 33. He says, I will go before you. I will clear out all of these people groups. It's God declaring that his presence is being renewed in his people. That he is now going to not send an angel, but do it himself personally. That he is re-engaging, re-instituting, restoring his relationship with his people. And then we see God also warning them to, to as you, you see all the institutions and all of the setting up of the feasts and the Ten Commandments, and God is doing that for a very intentional and specific purpose. And he's saying, do these things so that you can be set apart as my people, so that you're not whoring yourself to another God. This is what it looks like to worship me appropriately. This is what it looks like to walk with me as my people, as my children. And we see Moses in the presence of God, hearing all of these things, pleading and interceding for the people. And then we see Moses exit the tent to give the message to the people. And he doesn't even know it, but his face is shining. From being in the presence of a perfect God. And as he exits the tent to proclaim this message to his people, we see the people respond in fear. They're taking a step back and he has to call Aaron and the leaders. He's like, hey, come here, I got a message. And they're pulling back going, Moses, I don't know if you noticed, but your face is shining. And so we see Moses put a veil on his face anytime he is not proclaiming the message from the Lord or anytime he is with the Lord 
Those are the only two times that we see Moses remove this veil from his face. Other than that, we see Moses walking around with a veiled face to shield the people from the glory of God that he is reflecting. I often, like I've read this account before, and I I look at it, and I'm like, man, that'd be so cool to experience having a shining face from being in the presence of God. Or seeing someone that had a shining face from being in the presence of God. Yet when I look at myself, I know that I would respond in fear. I know that I would, I would be awestruck and astounded because there's no way that I could stand in boldness before even that man if his face was reflecting the full glory of God. But church, if you would, I need everyone to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. And I probably should have made it a slide, but I didn't. So just, I'll give you a minute to turn there. It's 2 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 18. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Since we have such hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, and in that, whenever Moses, it is talking about the law. Whenever the law is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, uh, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, listen to this church, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from, the degree, from one degree of glory to another. For it comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. A faithful father leading his children or his people to a restored relationship through the rock, through our mediator, our intercessor, in which he receives all of the glory. Church, we live in a culture that instructs us and encourages us to discover who we are or to even choose who we are. to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and go fix ourselves. To focus on us. We're in the I slash me culture. Yet here in this, this account in Exodus, we see the Father instructing us to do something that is the exact opposite. We see him just as he instructed Moses, instructing us as his children to do the same. He says, come to the rock. Rest in it. 
and behold who I am. We see that God is telling us to come to Christ in whatever way we are. And come behold him, to look upon him, to see his glory, to see who he is. And he tells us who he is. He says that he is forgiving, that he is loving, that he is long-suffering. He says that he is patient and kind and merciful. He says that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is all-knowing and ever-present And from this position of authority, he declares us as his children. And as his children, we, through our mediator, are sanctified, we are justified, and we are forgiven in fullness. That is the position as his children that we hold. What he desires us to do is to behold him. He desires to be known. He told us who he is. He wants us to know him. And he's created a way for us to be able to approach him in boldness, not having to veil our face or hide. He wants us to be able to approach him as a child with their father because he desires to be known by his children, by his people. But how do we behold him? I've heard that a lot of times in my life. Just behold, behold God, behold Christ. What does it mean to behold him? It means to gaze upon him, to know him. And how do we behold him? We study his word where he is found. We engage with the body of Christ where we see his characteristics and his gifts lived out in the body of Christ as we are all pursuing him. We engage and communicate with him in prayer. Pursuing him clinging to the rock and beholding his glory. And church, the beautiful part about all of this is we don't have to now cover our faces. In this culture, it's not about covering your face so that the culture doesn't see the glory of God. It's not about veiling your face because, or wearing a, a mask or facade because you don't want people to know where you're broken or where you're failing or where you're flawed. It's about coming to God as you are and reflecting His matchless and perfect perfection, His glory, His holiness. And to walk out that holiness, to reflect the glory that He is. He's changed everything for us, church, and we get to walk in that boldness. It's a 
beautiful thing to be able to worship the Lord with our lives. And it's a beautiful thing that God wants to be known by me because I know me. Church, I am not up here preaching from a pedestal. I'm not preaching from a place of success. I'm preaching as a man who has been humbled time and time again because I have fallen short. And in my, in my inadequacy, I've seen the person of Christ, my mediator, my intercessor, coming before me and saying, no, Tony, this is who you are in me. Now walk in this truth. Glorify my name. Proclaim me. Because isn't it beautiful, Tony, that I've done all of this on your behalf. It's not a fake faith. We have a living God who desires a living relationship with us, church. So let's pursue him. Pursue him with everything that we've got. And this morning, if you're sitting in here and you don't know much about this gospel, this gospel is everything I just said, but the simplicity of it is that our perfect sacrifice came and he died on the cross. He was that perfect payment for all of our sins. And in the payment for our sins, he, comp- he took on the full wrath of God. Satisfying the punishment for all of mankind's sin. And then he rose again, conquering the power of sin and death over our lives in victory. And by faith in him, we now receive that new life that is found in the person of Jesus Christ and in him alone. And we get to walk now in in newness of life, but the ability to be able to approach God's throne as his child because he has restored right relationship with us. Don't be a stiff-necked people. If you have more questions, me, my wife, and there are plenty of other people in this church that would gladly walk through what it means to be a believer. What it means to be a child of God. And if you're struggling as a believer, there are plenty of places that we can engage with together in our life groups and discipleship, even just in conversation with one another to help point one another towards Christ and towards his excellence and his ability and his adequacy and his authority and lordship. Church, I love you. And I pray that as this morning, as you hear these words, that it would just ignite a desire in your heart to get to know the Lord, to pursue him. And remember, in the pursuit, it's not about your ability, it's about Christ's adequacy. We're told to come to Christ. And in Christ, we get to see the Father in fullness of glory. Because that's what he desires for us as his children. Worship team's going to come up now, and I'm going to go ahead and 
just close us out in prayer and after I'll, I'll be over there to pray. But church, I love you and thank you for listening this morning. If you would, just please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you that you desire to be known. I thank you that from your place of authority and omnipotence or power, that from the beginning of time you have created a way for mankind to be restored to right relationship with you. And that you did this through the person of Christ. I pray that as we continue to walk through life, as we continue to walk through our lives, both in the success and and the difficulty, Lord, I, I pray that we would just continue to cling to the rock and just behold who you are. That we would pursue getting to know you because in knowing you, there is freedom. Thank you for freeing us from the bondage of sin. Thank you that we don't have to walk in guilt and shame. Thank you for being the good Father. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we trust you. I pray that you answer all these things according to your will and for your glory. In your name, amen.